This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Is your child's understanding of money, earning, spending, saving, investing, etc., on solid ground? In what ways have you as a parent taught or role-modeled financial literacy to your kids? Is there room for improvement in your child's financial well-being or your own? Those questions are familiar territory for our first guest. He's been an educator and advocate in the financial literacy space for over 35 years, both as a father and as president of the Canadian Foundation for Economic Education. Gary Rabior is a father of three adult children and has spent his career teaching, coaching, developing curriculum in schools, and advising individuals, families, and organizations about improving their financial footing and economic health. Gary Rabior, welcome to Where Parents Talk. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Gary, what would you say is an optimal starting point for a parent who may not have had any meaningful or robust conversations about money with their teen or tween or young adult yet? Yeah, I think uh, two aspects of starting. One is at what age and the other is how to get started. And my recommendation for parents is to start as early as possible. Uh, We have resources that start um, for parents with kids as young as four and five. Uh, We have a website called talkwithourkidsaboutmoney.com where parents can go to get some help there. In terms of starting the conversation, if parents haven't and would like to do so, I think one of the most important recommendations is to be as natural as possible about it. Uh, Don't be a teacher. Don't sit at the dining room table. Say, now we're going to learn about money. Uh, Take something that occurs in life and utilize it as an opportunity to get the conversation started. It may be something that your child is planning to purchase, such as new shoes, new jeans, computer. Uh, You can start talking about what the costs are, how to save for it, how to set a goal. What are the trade-offs you're going to make if you buy this and what else won't you be able to do? And start to work on particularly what's important is their self-efficacy. Work with them that they can set a goal and achieve it. Probably can't do anything more important in financial literacy than that. Develop that confidence that they can set a goal and achieve it. And they will do all that's necessary in financial management, usually later in life, if they have that belief in themselves. You can also use a household emergency that something comes up and talk about the costs, what you're going to do, how you're going to finance it. Again, make it a natural occurrence. It could also be saving for future education talking about the strategies by which to do so, what the actual costs are going to be. But that's a great discussion to open with young people about money. It could also be about a car, new time to buy a car, lease a car. How do you make the choice? What are the costs? How do you make go about making the decision? And of course, the old standby is an allowance that if you haven't had one with your child, uh, it could be a great time to start one up. All sorts of things you can do with an allowance. It's really a parent choice about why you give it, what you give it for, and how much. Lots of information available about that, but that's another great way to get it started too. There's so much important information in what you just shared, but I think that idea of making it not a formal event, like today we're going to sit at the dinner table and talk about money, especially in this age group, I don't think you can overstate that because as we know, oftentimes in, in this age group of teens and young adults, they they might tune you right out before you've even gotten the first sentence out. So uh, it might seem to be a, a stumbling block for many parents in that regard. 
Yeah, I think the key thing, and one of the, it's one of the reasons for starting early, is you want to develop a relationship with your child where it's comfortable for them to talk with you and you to talk with them about money. Uh, it's often easier in the younger years than to try and start later on when complex matters of mortgages and cars and all that kind of thing starts to show up. You want to have be have a relationship with your child about this that they feel comfortable coming to you, not necessarily as an advisor if you don't have the background, but as a guide, as someone to speak with about someone who can help them, something that's natural in their life with you, that it's not something foreign. And when they face a difficult financial situation, it's awkward at that point to open the discussion with you. You want them to have that relationship with you already so that it's a comfortable one and you're a friend when it's needed. Well, so let's say that in in one family or many of the families that, that might be listening to this show that that hasn't happened and their child is about to leave home for university or, you know, a part time job or some other reason that they're now going to have to sort out their financial health. They haven't had the fundamental education that you're speaking of. So what would you advise parents in this category? Uh, one, there's some great resources that they can draw the attention of their child to that can provide them guidance on what it's going to be like to move out on their own. Um, we have a publication called Money and Youth that can certainly help. We're developing an online course called Finlet 101 that has a whole section on moving out. But they can all, and they have the advantage that they've been there, done that. Most parents, uh, in fact, have had the experience of trying to set up a household, what the costs are going to be. And it can be a great casual conversation, you know, that, hey, you're likely heading out on your own or you are heading out of your own talk about your own experience what did you go through what worked out well what were the problems mistakes you made are the best learning examples you can find and if you've been there done that and made the mistakes help your kids not make the same ones but it's one of those easy situations where you've been through it you've got something to share you can easily open the discussion for what lies ahead and also do some research and homework of your own and find some resources like the ones I've suggested or other ones that you can share with your child. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there to help them be aware of things that they may encounter and things they have to do, such as renter's insurance that a lot of them aren't aware of, that they better if they're out on their own and have to protect themselves. So lots of things that parents can do. And it's one of the more a uh, natural and easy discussion to have with your kid if they're getting to the point where they're soon to leave home and there's so much they may not know that you can help them better understand. We are discussing how to talk to kids about money matters with Gary Rabior, president of the Canadian Foundation for Economic Education. I'm Leanne Castellino and this is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. We've got 20 copies of the book Money and Youth generously offered by the Canadian Foundation for Economic Education. Go to the giveaways page of whereparentstalk.com to find out how to get your copy. Now, Gary, the pandemic has shone a very bright, intense spotlight on many things, but perhaps none more so than the topic of finances and economic health if we're talking about everything from government levels, you know, and and everything below that right down to our own homes. In what ways do you believe that the pandemic has opened up or even deepened uh, more meaningful discourse on money and mental health within families? 
I think it's had an enormous impact. And um, the uh, KMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, actually released the study not long ago that in their survey of people, they found that uh, financial anxiety um, was and financial concerns was greater health concerns. Even during the time of a global pandemic, it still rose to the top of what is causes anxiety and stress for people. I must say that before the pandemic hit, one of the most surprising things in my whole career in this area is that as we took a greater interest in the relationship between financial health and mental health and work we were doing with CAMH and other mental health organizations, it always shocked me that when you opened the discussion with parents and teachers about the relationship between financial health and mental health, it was like a light bulb went off. You would think that everybody would have thought about it, but they said, oh yeah, Jesus, right? I know somebody who's really suffering from this and everybody knew examples. And the relationship is so obvious that prolonged periods of financial stress and anxiety have an impact on mental health. But I think the pandemic has taken that sort of maybe surprised light bulb effect out of play. And I think people we're recognizing that, yes, indeed, uh, financial health and people's ability to manage their financial affairs so they don't get themselves into prolonged periods of financial stress and anxiety is extremely important when it comes to maintaining good mental health. And it's particularly a concern for young people today. All the surveys are showing how many young people are struggling with mental health issues compounded dramatically by social media and the impact that young people who who are inflating their lives makes other young people feel less well about themselves. It is a huge impact. So you've got financial matters, you've got social media, you've got all these things, particularly working on young people. It's another reason why it's so important for parents to talk with their kids about this, help them understand and form realistic expectations about the world and not the ones they hear about on social media what they're likely to earn as an income, not the 100,000 that everybody's talking about, but what's realistic so they don't come out of their childhood into adulthood feeling disappointed in themselves. They understand that they're like so many other people doing the same thing, struggling to find a job, making a certain level of income, having to wait to buy a home, all that kind of thing. Parents can do a great deal to help strengthen and secure the mental health of their kids when it comes to the impact that financial matters and stress can have on them. So probably one of the biggest responsibility a parent has today. Absolutely. Now, speaking of which, Gary, I'm going to ask you to put your helmet on uh, as a dad of of three and a grandfather as well. What did it look like in your house in terms of how you went about educating your own children about financial matters? For me, it was natural because it's my line of work. There were so many things in our household being done and involved with learning about money, but there's so much going on in everybody's household. And I think the one thing that parents have to realize is whether they're teaching their kids about money in their minds or not, they are. Kids are watching, kids are learning. How you make decisions, how you work together about money matters, how you make decisions, what kind of cost trade-offs do you make, all sorts of things. So it's much more natural to evolve with that kind of discussion with your kids and many parents think. And as soon as you start looking for the opportunities, they're going to find them all over the place. Definitely. Um, now, debt and carrying debt uh, seem to be accepted social norms these days. If we look at governments and fiscal management from that level, what would you say that a parent should know about this topic within a household? And more importantly, in explaining debt and credit and all of those, you know, things to their child? For most people, debt is not the bad 
thing that it's made out to be all the time. It can be very good in some respects. And most people can use debt to their advantage, even using a credit card, you know, using it wisely. And that's the key thing is that, you know, it, it lets you use something now rather than have to wait to save for it. It gives you a record of your transaction is let you track your expenses and know where your money's going. You don't have to carry cash. It ensures some of your purchases. You can establish a credit rating by paying off your bills at the end of each month and paying them off in full. There's a lot of ways in which credit can be advantageous. What you have to do is balance it with the, the potential problems that arise, that it's easy to spend. It's easy to push yourself beyond a limit. And one of the most important things in managing debt in one's life is to stay in control of your own life. Know what your debt limit is is and hold rigidly to it. The reason being, there are so many forces out there that are going to try and push you beyond it. And they're going to make it easy for you to go beyond it. And the key thing is to use credit to your advantage, but to set a debt limit for what you can manage and afford and not let the forces, pressures, organizations out there that are going to challenge you and try and push you to go beyond it, to spend more, to be able to resist that and to be able to live a controlled financial life that is ultimately the happy financial life. Gary Rabior, President of the Canadian Foundation for Economic Education. We really appreciate your perspective and insight today. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. Parenting and politics. The pandemic in particular, and an election campaign in Canada specifically, has cast a narrow spotlight on leadership at all levels. Our next guest knows that landscape intimately. She was a member of parliament in the Liberal government from 2015 to 2019, becoming the first black person elected federally to represent the riding of Whitby, Ontario. In addition to being a former politician, her expansive portfolio includes entrepreneur, speaker, business consultant, and most recently, best-selling author. Selena Caesar Chavan's first book, entitled Can You Hear Me Now?, was published in February 2021. It's been shortlisted for the Shaughnessy Cohen Prize for Political Writing, awarded annually. She's also married and a mother of three children. Selena Caesar Chavan, thank you for making time for us here on Where Parents Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. Before we delve into the book, as a former politician, I'd like to ask you, you know, your journey took you to the highest levels of government in this country in the prime minister's office. So do you discuss civic engagement or politics with your kids, especially given the fact that there's a federal election in Canada this year? Oh, yes, for sure. And I've always said that my children are the real politicians in the house. I just played one on television. They have always been very politically minded, whether in, you know, Model United Nations or some civics program in school. They are they're very, very much plugged into the social justice issues uh, of the day and really have taught me a lot about being engaged politically. So my hat's off to them in terms of how I got into politics. And now um, they are 
you know, really engaged to the point where we discuss who we're going to vote for in this house. And honestly, nobody will win a major a majority if if they were depending on our house to, to to win it. It's safe to say that the pandemic has really put politics and leadership globally, uh, in fact, on people's radar in ways that it never has potentially before. So what would you say to a parent who, who's got a child, young adult child, who's interested in politics? How can they best be supported? Well, I think, you know, we have to talk about doing politics differently and talk about empathy. And when I left politics, one of the things that I, I really wanted to understand about what was wrong with the system um, was the fact that what I came up with was the fact that the, the empathy, the, the the way in which we treat people, our humanity, we can't expect to enact policy that's going to help millions of people if we can't talk to our neighbors, if we can't treat each other right. So I think everything that you, as a parent, teach your children about being a good, kind person goes into then being a politician or getting involved in politics or being civically engaged because you have to look out for the most vulnerable person. And that person is someone who doesn't have the privileges that we have, that doesn't have the access that we have. And it's only when we see them, can we open up those opportunities for them. So in what ways has what you just said, the fact that, you know, you are now seeing this from a different light, uh, not not being in politics during a pandemic where the leaders are on our TV screens and in the headlines every minute of the day. How has that changed your perspective, if at all? I published a an article for CTV News uh, around leadership and uh, this federal election. And one of my favorite quotes on transformative leadership comes from Dr. Carolyn Shields, where she says transformative leaders have a clear sense of their values and beliefs and use that to then advocate and to take stands that require moral courage. And one of the things that, you know, I assess in leaders is are they able to take stands that require moral courage? Are they able to have those tense conversations? Are they able to do what they say they're going to do? And I think at this point, especially coming out of a a pandemic or heading into a fourth wave, understanding the backdrop of racial injustice, understanding climate change and geopolitical issues like Afghanistan, we really need to look and assess whether our leaders, uh, federally, provincially, municipally, who we are going to elect who actually work for the people, are able to do what they say. Are they able to stand up for the little guy or are they doing what is politically expedient? And that's something that I want Canadians to really focus on. You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we're talking to Selena Caesar Chavan, former politician, business consultant, author, and mother of three. Be sure to watch our video interview with Selena, as well as learn more about this week's giveaway at whereparentstalk.com. Now, Selena, it's been several months since your book, Can You Hear Me Now?, came out. Curious, what feedback have you received that has surprised you the most? Oh my God, that's a great question. Um, You know, I wrote this book that had all of my mistakes, my vulnerabilities, things I felt guilty about, my shames, as well as my triumphs and joys um, in it. And it has been most surprising that every book club that I've been a part of, everybody that has responded to the book has said to me, I could hear you, number one. And number two, that we, our stories are so similar. 
we know people from all backgrounds say our stories are so similar because again, if we talk about that humanity piece, once you're able to connect human to human with someone, um, exposing some of those hurts, exposing some of the realities of living life, that's where you get that connection. That's where those connections are made. And that's really been surprising that people actually got it. They understood the book. I recently finished reading the book as well and was deeply moved by the rawness and candor on which you talk about your lived experience. And so there were all these twists and turns. Mm -hmm. So it was also hard to believe that it was the story of just one person, to be quite honest with you. So Selena, why did you want to write this book? Well, a number of reasons. Number one is that um, when you look at the history books, there's there's very rarely in Canadian history an accounting of Black and Indigenous history. And so I wanted to make sure that I had space that captured the history of me in the way I wanted it to be collected collected, not just showing all the highs and the things I won and the awards and things like that, but a real, a real life of an immigrant Black woman in this country. But secondly, you know, if we want to change the spaces that we occupy, we have to tell our real stories. We have to be authentic. People need to know as a politician why I wanted to be their voice in Ottawa. It's because I understand pain. I understand hurt. I understand their joys. I've lived a life that can connect to some of those experiences. But I think most importantly, it was to heal, uh, to heal and to help others heal, to know that, you know, we own our mistakes. Our mistakes don't own us. And therefore, we could choose to let them go and live free, burden, burden free lives. Well, the themes of failure, perseverance, redemption, resilience, absolutely all over that book uh, and in different ways. So I wonder, how do you manage uh, challenges or failure in your own children as a mother? Oh, my. Well, see, <laughs> I've, uh, I've I wrote a book on all of them. So let's just say that they can't you know, try to blindside me with anything that they do. I, I always said, you've read the book, you know, I've, I'm 10 steps ahead of you. Um, and so I let them live. You know, my daughters are world travelers at the beginning of the pandemic. My 15 year, then at, she was 15, was in Australia uh, by herself with, an, with another friend of hers. My 20 year old was in, at the time was in the UK. And you know, I, I let them live. And I, and I say to them, you know, if you want this to be the last time that you go to the mall or you travel by yourself or you hang out with your friends, make it happen. And that, that way, I don't have to go through this long laundry list of things that they can and cannot do. If you want this to be the last time, I've grown you up in a way that you understand what is right and what is wrong. And if you want this to be the last time that you have this privilege, you can make that happen. Now, your time in Ottawa kept you away from your family for large pockets of time, which you get into in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, how did that experience as a politician with all that stress and all of the demands on you every minute of the day impact the way you parented then and perhaps after that? Oh, my goodness. Well, I would say, let me just fast forward a little bit. The pandemic during the last year was the only time in a very long time that our family has ever been in the same space for a year. So we're always traveling. We're always somebody's always in a different continent. Right. So um, being away from them for long periods of time wasn't as bad, especially with FaceTime and things like that. It was it made it a little bit easier, easier. 
But I would say something that's probably <laughs> not going to answer the question in any way that you want to. But when I lived in Ottawa and had that condo was the first time I'd ever lived on my own hmm. by myself. So it was an experience for me to just understand. Cause as soon as I got, I left my house, my family home, home I grew up with and I got married and then a few months later had a baby. So I'd never been on my own. And that's something that I really valued in those four years, <laughs> just having that alone time, not having to clean my apartment, eating ramen noodles. They're so bad for you, but they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all these things that I didn't get to experience as a young person, I got to experience while I was there. So it was a blessing and a curse at the same time. And I, I choose to focus in on the blessing part of it. Now, speaking of your childhood home, you go into, you know, great description um, about your relationship with your mother as a child and how, how did that prepare you in the end uh, for what you've experienced later on in your life? Oh, wow. This is such a great question. Um, I dedicate the book. The first person that I dedicate the book to is my mother. And I say, you know, to my mother, Odessa Caesar, the iron that sharpens me. It didn't say the pillow that sharpened me or the feather. It is the iron. And she was a tough mom. Um, I was a tough kid and we always butted heads. But I realized that that moment in Ottawa I'd been prepared for it my whole life. She had given me a foundation to stand on, to know my worth um, in as much as I thought, oh my God, she's so tough. She's so hard on me. She probably hates me. And when I reflected and looked back on this and in writing the book, I realized how much love she went into it, into raising me. And I say in the book, you know, that I feared her while she feared for me and treated me the way she knew the world eventually would. She knew that this bold young girl that she was raising that really didn't follow rules very well, even as a child, would, would meet up with a, a system that resisted um, someone who wants to make change. And she prepared me for those moments and allowed me to stand in my truth, stand in my power, and more importantly, stand in my authenticity. The topics of discrimination and tokenism, central themes in your book, how do you address them with your children? Well, that's a conversation we always have to have. Um, you know, I'm raising two Black girls and a, a Black boy, a son, and, you know, there's things that, you know, my son can't do that, you know, parents never think about, you know, when we go to the grocery, if I go to Shoppers Drug Mart before I go to No Frills, uh, which is, you know, close to my house, and we buy him a pack of Tic Tacs from Shoppers Drug Mart, he can't go into the No Frills with that open package. Mm -hmm. Because I, I know what it's like to have someone put their hand on you on your shoulder and say, you stole that that package even though I know we've paid for it. So he's all, he knows that he could eat some in the car in between Shoppers Drug Mart and No Frills, but he has to leave the open pack in the car. He doesn't walk around the stores with his hands in his pockets. He leaves them out so people could see. There's a bunch of little sort of nuances that that really I, I put it forward to protect him, but at the same time robs him of his innocence and his 
part of his childhood, him riding his bike or, or going for a jog around the neighborhood. I worry. I think of I think of Georgia. I think of like some of these places where black men have had terrible experiences. Those kinds of, of stories play in my mind. And so I have to prepare them for for any form of discrimination that they may face. Your girls uh, may well be women in leadership positions one day when they when they grow up. So what is your message to women and particularly mothers pursuing leadership positions today? Remember the young person that you were to remember the mistakes that you've made and the fact that you would have wanted someone to give you or to extend to you the grace to love you in spite of your mistakes to think of that young person that you were and always try to operate from that perspective, to lift as we climb, so to speak. Certainly a a very inspirational message to end on. Selena Cesar Chavan, author of Can You Hear Me Now? Former MP and mom, thank you so much for taking the time to share your perspective today. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. It is always a pleasure. And that's Where Parents Talk. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Leanne Castellino. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. 